Bandwidth for Changelog is provided by Fastly. Learn more at Fastly.com. We move fast and fix things here at Changelog because of Rollbar. Check them out at Rollbar.com, and we're hosted on Linode servers. Head to Linode.com slash Changelog. This episode of Founders Talk is brought to you by Vettery. Vettery is a hiring marketplace that connects top tech talent with growing companies, and all candidates are fully vetted before appearing on the platform. Vettery is also making Monday morning something to celebrate with a fresh batch of fully vetted candidates every Monday. If you're a startup or anyone looking to expand your technical teams, Vettery's matching algorithm will connect you with highly qualified tech, sales, and finance candidates. And they've also released a comprehensive tech salary report for 2018 with insights from actual employer hiring for top technology positions in New York City, San Francisco, Los Angeles, and Washington, D.C. Use this report to learn exactly how much software engineers are getting paid so you can make the right offers when building your team. And this report is available to you, a listener of Founders Talk, absolutely free. Head to vettery.com slash Founders Talk to learn more and download this report. Once again, that's vettery, V-E-T-T-E-R-Y.com slash Founders Talk. Founders Talk. I'm Adam Stachowiak, host of this podcast and editor-in-chief of changelog.com. On this show, I talk with founders, CEOs, and makers about their journey, their lessons learned, and the behind the scenes of their company. Today, I'm talking with Eric Berry, the creative code fund, previously known as Code Sponsor, which Eric started a year ago in an effort to help sustain open source. He ultimately had to shut it down due to potential legal issues with GitHub, but was given new life when he joined the team at Consensus and Gitcoin. We talked to the backstory of his idea, why Eric is so passionate about funding open source, ethical advertising, being unapologetically focused on your mission, the value of honesty and openness, and the future direction of CodeFund. So we're talking about funding open source. That is the topic of today's show. Talking with Eric Berry, founder of CodeFund, previously code sponsor. Eric, how are you? Good. How are you doing, Adam? It's a good day. And I, I've actually been waiting. You, you may not believe this, but I've been waiting for this call. Right. I've, I've been wanting to have this conversation with you for a long time. Well, I'm glad we're finally having it. Why is that? So I put this show on hiatus about five years ago, and I love the kind of conversations I'm hoping we're about to have, which is kind of like this layering of an onion, revealing some of the details behind lessons learned and building a business, which is not easy. And I'm a fan of yours. I'm a fan of what you're doing, as uh, as you probably know. And, you know, I resumed this show probably a few months ago after a five-year hiatus. And my passion is really digging into these kinds of stories and so when i when i was bringing the show back and i made my list your name was on it so there you go i appreciate that no you uh you guys have uh been a pretty big influence for me so you know mutual respect there for sure well thank you i took a drink of my coffee because i need my i need my juice to uh to make it through it's two o'clock now but uh, that's when i take my second cup of coffee i don't know about you (laughs) i got my tea right next to me there you go so Code Sponsor was the original name. Um, it's now Code Fund. We've got sort of a long journey to, to extrapolate past, but just a quick highlights, I'll, I'll cover them and you can fill in the blanks. From what I understand, a year ago, last month, July 8th, was when you began your journey here. It's probably, maybe that's the, the date of inception of code. I'm not sure what, what the exact birthday really means. 
Uh, and since then, you know, you've had some issues with GitHub. You've learned lots of lessons. You've had right. to change your business model. You've been acquired, from what I understand, from uh, Consensus. Um, what I want to do is sort of like tell that quick version of the story to give some context to the listeners and then rewind back to the beginning to say, where did this begin for you? So help me fill in the kind of the TLDR overarching and we'll go, we'll go back in the past here in a bit. Yeah, I think, um, to start off with maybe a little bit about me as a, and who I am, I'm a, um, I'm a software developer. I've been doing, uh, development since the late nineties. Um, I started off in <clears throat> started off in PHP and went to Java and then and then Ruby is where I was introduced to the whole open source world. And this is back in uh, 2008. Um, and since then I've I've pretty much clamped down on Ruby for a very long time. And anybody who's listening knows that the Ruby community is pretty remarkable when yeah. it comes to when it comes to uh, open source and and helping build tools for each other. And so I grew up, you know, professionally in this atmosphere where we're all giving to each other. Um, I had my heroes back then, um, Remy Sharp, of course. There's uh, um, uh, Tom Dale and and uh, and Yehuda Katz and and DHH, of course, and a lot of people who were doing massive contributions to the community. And it, it was so fascinating to watch every single time that, that happened. It, it was just another tool in my tool belt. Right. And, um, and so I became very comfortable, maybe comfortable is probably the right word. I became comfortable with, with utilizing open source for my, for my personal career and growth. And I've been doing so for, for a very long time. Um, and so back in, uh, July of last year, I was working for a company. I wasn't too thrilled working there and I wanted to be able to start something on the side and when I did that, I, I asked myself, what, what, what can I possibly provide that's not out there? And, and I, we, I had some ideas that might work, might not work, but I thought about what, what am I passionate about? And um, I'm passionate about open source and I have a background in marketing. So, so the, the whole idea kind of came out of, I, was, I, remember that I remember the day I was driving to work and it just hit me. Um, I can, I think I can marry the two and help open source continue to grow through, through marketing and advertising. And once that idea clicked, it, it everything stemmed from that. Mm. It, uh, it kind of fell right into place in my mind. That's interesting to, to, I mean, for one, of course, Remy Sharp, a uh, huge influencer of mine, DHH, definitely. Tom mm -hmm. Dell, Yehuda Katz, significant contributions across all four of those people into the JavaScript and the Ruby ecosystems. Right. Uh, I can remember reading Remy Sharp's blog way back in the day. And like, I'm just thinking like, how does this person pour so much in, you know? And then right. of course, DHH's contribution to the Ruby world with Rails and Tom Dale and Yehuda Katz with Ember. We've documented some of that. The only person you mentioned on that list that hasn't been on any of our podcasts is Remy Sharp. We should fix that. Yeah, um, definitely. <laughs> been, he's, a, he's a great guy. I don't know how that happened, but uh, I echo your, I echo your list uh, for sure. And what's interesting is how you, how you said, I'm, I, I know I want to help. I have a heart for helping. I love this. I have experience in this, you know, one being open source, the other being marketing. How can I marry the two? And I don't think many people actually 
maybe take that perspective? They just sort of like just dive into something. It seems like you were a little bit more methodical about your, about your process. Can you speak to that? Well, I, so to speak to that, I want to talk about kind of how developers view funding and open source. For the most part, what I've seen across the board is developers think funding comes from uh, sponsorships and, and buttons. Um, you and see, stickers too. And stickers, right. right. Yeah, exactly. So you see all these developers who are putting these pay buttons on their websites, uh, on their uh, GitHub readmes, and hoping that they'll generate funding. And um, I'm sure we'll get into Open Collective, which is basically the super-powered version of that, which works really well for certain cases. But but most of the time, the way what I was seeing was this money that was that everybody's fighting for. Everybody wants to get more money in the table, but it's all coming from this uh, this uh, uh, donation slash charity fund, which is always limited. Yeah, that, that funding is limited. And it's going to be the first, if it's coming from a company, it's the first thing to go when anything gets tight. And typically developers are hoping that other developers will donate. And in, you know, I've donated to some projects before, but again, then I turn around and have my own projects and then who donates to me. So the question is, why are we approaching this problem from a charity funding source point of view? When we could say, okay, well, why don't we tap into marketing budgets and say, and then all of a sudden that the, the, the pockets, the, the depth of the pockets becomes infinite. As long as those, those marketers can actually see a return on their end, they'll keep on dishing out money. And so that's, that was what, that was the reason why I decided that advertising was the way to go. Now, of course, <laughs> back then, um, it, I, I took a very naive approach. I'm like, well, you know, where, where a few a few things that that um, come to mind when I started this is is one. I know that people don't like to change. Um, I don't like to change. Developers don't like to change. But change is tough. Change is tough, and to be something that's adopted. And I've had experience in this in the past, but for something to actually be adopted, it has to be where the amount of change is, is, is less than the amount of reward that comes from that change. Or the pain. Or the pain, right. The pain has to be greater than, than the, the change would, that would be required to resolve it. So I knew that um, the best way to do this, in my view, in my naive view, was, well, let's stick ads on, on GitHub. It's got a lot of views, got a lot of visibility. It's it's the first place people tend to go to when it says, hey, check out this open source project. They either got their homepage, which is typically a GitHub page, or their readme, which is the second, probably the you know f equal first, second visible piece of an open source project. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I took this idea and I pitched it to a friend of mine, Tanner Lindsley, um, and he is the, the person behind uh, React Table and uh, several other fairly popular projects. And I asked him, I, I told him this idea of like, hey, what if I made a way for you to place uh, uh, an unobtrusive ad on your GitHub, uh, your GitHub readme, and then you would get paid on a per click basis. And the unobtrusive part was so key. You know, I'm, I'm a developer and the last thing I wanna see is a bunch of big old banner ads on GitHub. So the way it was designed was it was text only. 
Um, it looked different enough to not be deceiving, but similar enough to not be distracting. Right. Which is a uh, very hard balance. It was a hard balance, but uh, the people that I've talked to who saw it, most of the people that I point the ad out to have to say, I have to point it out. Now, when you read it, it's very clearly an ad. Um, uh, well, what we, what, what we considered it, what I considered at the time was more of a sponsorship. So I'll Hence take a step back. Code sponsor. Hence the name code sponsor. So I took a step back and I, and I reached out and I said, I wonder if I can find an advertiser that's interested in, in getting in front of the audience that, that Tanner is generating. So Tanner has a pretty big audience of JavaScript developers. I reached out to a couple of people, um, just cold, flat out cold called and said, Hey, this is what I'm doing. Would you be interested? And several, several, uh, people said, yeah, let's give it a shot. And so that started in July and in July, I think I paid out $20 or something like that in, um, uh, in, uh, uh, to the developers. So I think I paid it to Tanner and one other guy. And then month after month, it kept on increasing. So um, in, in July, I had, I think, only like five, five repos that it was working with. The application integrated directly with GitHub so that when you sign in, it'll list all of your public repositories. And then you can just select which ones you want to do and it'll generate a code for you to place to, and the way it worked was it wasn't a code it was a it was a dynamic svg image so and that's that's how we got around you no know, scripting on github is that that image um when that request came in the image would look at the request it would know exactly what property that's for it would find the proper advertiser for that property and then render on the fly um the uh ad script or the ad in SVG format. Super inventive, by the way. I mean, that's like you, you kind of gloss over quickly, but getting past the no script rule inside of a GitHub readme or just a readme in general. I mean, that's, that's pretty smart, dude. <laughs> and when we first saw it, Jared and I first saw it, we were both taken aback and I was like, that's really inventive. Wow. But I, I have, you know, far and few between, I have some moments of the brilliance greatness, and, yeah. and <laughs> greatness. <laughs> Everything else is kind of like a, <laughs> um, yeah. So it worked really, really well. Now there were some gotchas to it. One is, um, GitHub uses, and I can't remember the name of it anymore because I haven't looked at it in so long. Um, but they use a, um, basically an anonymizer, uh, layer on their request so that the headers that come in on any image request are actually, they're all coming from GitHub's um, server locations and they don't pass any information on as like, if it's mobile, if it's anything. So that's, that led to the decision to go cost per click over cost per thousand impressions or CPM. Yeah. Um, because if we went CPM, which would have been, more fair for the, the for the publishers for the for the developers but because because we couldn't actually prevent fraud in that way we we decided and i say i say we a lot at the time it was me but eventually it became a we um i decided to to just do cpc cost per click uh and it was a pretty flat rate um i would charge advertisers uh, about a dollar a click, which is well under what they're used to paying. And I would pay out anywhere between 40 to 50% of the, at the time to the, uh, to the developer. The amount that you're having them pay is uh, kind of 
you know, shallow depth at that point. Like it wasn't, I don't want to mention competitors. I'm just not, it's not the point. It's just mentioning that you weren't, the point I'm trying to make is that you weren't trying to be greedy. No, you, know, you were, you're trying to find a way. What's the easiest way to enter this market that enables you to get some traction on both sides, you know, both the advertiser side and the developer side. And the easiest way is to make it accessible. Yeah. And when I started it, I didn't really have a, uh, an entrepreneur mindset in, in mind. I've, I've been a part of businesses before I've owned a business before, but only as the developer in the business. So I've never actually had to deal with the financial side or anything right. like that. And as I was going throughout the months doing this, I was doing it on the side in my own time. And I started realizing I, I, I really want to do this full time and I'm going to need to do this full time. It was putting a lot of, a lot of pain on my family. I was getting up at four in the morning every day to work on it and working on it late. So I was putting in probably 70 hour weeks, you know, 40 at work and 30 just on this. And it, it got to the point where my, my wife said, look, you have to choose um, either code sponsor or our family because this can't continue. Um, and so part Part of the reason for the stress was that we weren't making enough money. And so initially we started off at a 50% share, just a, a flat split between the, the developer and code sponsor. But I ended up pushing it back to 40% um, so that code sponsor would bring in 60. And what I found is that we just weren't making enough money to become sustainable. And it, it's interesting. It's, it's a hard thing to explain to people. One, when you're taking away something they had before, but two, um, trying to explain like this has to be a sustainable company in order for this whole thing to continue. If I can't do this or if I can't keep this going, then everybody's being shut off right. and nobody makes any money at all. And so that was a pretty rough time um, seeing that realization. And that was right around October, I believe, when we really started to get some traction. What do you, uh, when you say traction, what do you, what do you consider traction at that time? Can you kind of like just give us a, a bird's eye view of what traction looked like then? I think that there was a, there was a cycle of, of interest that came in into a uh, code sponsor. So what would happen is I would, people would look at the application and be a little wary. Like, is this for real? Are we really going to get paid? How does this work? And then um, I would pay people and then they would tweet about it. And once they tweet about it, hey, I just made, you know, $100 with, with code sponsor, people got interested and there was that validation. And then that would happen month over month. So I always knew like within the first week, I would see a huge increase in new users because people who got paid were talking about it. Um, and, and I think about three months in... Uh, yeah, probably around uh, September, September, October, um, we saw some really, really fantastic growth where, and I'll just tell you in, in July, I paid $20 in August, I paid $300 to developers in September, I paid 2,500. So, so that was actually in September is when we saw a serious growth. Then yeah. in October, in October, I paid out 3,400 to developers. Wow. So it was, it was pretty exciting. Um, we're really excited. Uh, unfortunately, uh, the, you know, the honeymoon of all that kind of came to a close while I was at um, GitHub Universe. Yeah, this is, this is kind of an interesting next segment into this story, which, which was like, you know, obviously 
the last thing that GitHub and potentially, as you even said yourself, developers would want is ads in readmes and making this because not everybody has your your viewpoint of like making them not stand out and blend in, but not quite blend in. You know the, the what we talked about earlier. Not everyone has that viewpoint. So the position that that GitHub took on this was like you could be an enemy to their state in the fact that you're injecting unintended things, dynamic ads essentially into what are their pretty readmes, and you 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 became you know there's a conflict there essentially can you break down maybe what happened and how that played out so we had some really large properties really large repos using um code sponsor at the time uh one of the largest was Sindre Sorhos's uh awesome list right and that i believe was the number one largest uh property on on github it was generating a ton of traffic and I, I went back and forth with Sindre and we, we, we tried to make the ad look good and fit right and not be obtrusive, but also still be effective. Um, and what ended up happening is, well, let me take a step back. I also wanted to show the world that um, I had GitHub support, even though at the time I really didn't. And this is me being naive um, and scared. I, I was scared. I was scared to talk to GitHub directly and say, hey, are you okay with me doing this? Um, and I didn't. And I looked at their at their terms. And at the time, their terms weren't as clear as they as they became after, after everything went down. Right. Um, so there was a little bit of a loophole. And I thought, okay, I'm going to comfortably sit in this loophole. And I decided what better way to show the world that GitHub supports code sponsor uh, than to sponsor GitHub universe. Uh, so I reached out to them. I said, Hey, I'm interested in sponsoring GitHub universe. Would you be okay with that? They said, absolutely. Um, I sent them uh, $6,000 and a logo and that was it. And now we were on their website for, for GitHub universe 2017. It's fantastic. It was a huge uh, boost for for people's trust in the system to make sure that they will continue to be supported and get paid. Um, and so I took Tanner, who was, uh, as I mentioned before, the first the first user, uh, and he helped um, he helped kind of brainstorm a lot of a lot of what Code Sponsor was at the time. Um, I took him uh, to to GitHub Universe with me, so we're having a great time. Uh, getting to know people, I met um, Nadia Eggball there, a fantastic person. Uh, got to meet a whole bunch of people. It was a great opportunity to to try and uh, connect with new advertisers, uh, new sponsors for the for the platform. And then uh, I remember getting an email from Sindre, I think on day two, and in that email he said, "Hey, I just wanted you to be aware, GitHub is asking me to pull the plug on Code Sponsor." And I read this and I read this over and I read this over and I thought, oh my gosh, what am I going to do? So immediately I went over to like the GitHub support area. They had a support area and I said, hey, this is who I am. I'm with Code Sponsor. Can I talk to somebody about this? And I got some crazy looks like, oh, you're the crazy person that's trying to tear down the ship or whatever it might be. Right. I got, I, you know, it was like a bad feeling that I got You're and they thought out that. Area. Oh yeah. 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 El bandito. <laughs> and so I was like, uh, they, they, they didn't want to talk to me 
it came down that, look, we can't talk to you. You have to go through this channel. So Tanner and I sat down we drafted a big, long email explaining what we are. The reasoning that they wanted them pulled is because they claimed that we were an ad platform. And even though we weren't technically an ad platform, we showed a lot of signs of being an ad platform. Uh, we were trying to be a sponsorship, a, a, a way for sponsors to be able to fund projects. Now you got to understand open collective does. Let me, let me talk about open collective for a moment because it is important here. Now, first off, let me say I am a tremendous fan of open collective. I think that what they've done and are continuing to do um, and will do in the future is unbelievable. For those who don't know what Open Collective is, it is a it is a non I believe it's a a, a not for profit organization that allows um, developer teams to generate funding for their projects, where Open Collective will receive the money, do the taxes, and then they will pay out based on uh, a public request. So if if part of the team says I want to spend money for stickers or I want to spend money for t-shirts or I want to spend money to go to this conference um or whatever it might be that that's what that funding is for. Now as great as that is, almost everybody that I've spoken to that participated with code sponsor at the time did not want to do that. They didn't like the public nature of it. They didn't like not being able to spend money on what they wanted to spend money on. It's not a fit. And for I can understand basically. that. It's not a fit for everybody. It's right. definitely a fit for some, but not for everybody. So open collective really focuses well on, on, on the aspect of enabling sponsorship directly. Uh, code fund or code sponsor at the time was more of a way for advertisers to get money to those developers that don't want to participate in open collective. So, when I received that, we, we drafted an email and we sent it along explaining why we're not an ad platform and explaining some steps that we'll take to move on. And we thought that was it. Um, we, we, we thought, okay, I think it's handled. We'll wait. And then we waited. And we waited. And we waited. And eventually I got, uh, eventually I got a response. And that led to a, a chain of more responses. This episode of Founders Talk is brought to you by Rollbar. Catch errors before your users do. Resolve errors in minutes. Deploy with confidence. Rollbar is loved by developers, trusted by enterprises. And most of all, we use Rollbar here at ChangeLog. You can give Rollbar a try today at no cost to you. No credit card is required. Our listeners get access to the Bootstrap plan with 100,000 events for free for 90 days. To get started, head to rollbar.com changelog. So Eric, you're you're waiting and you're waiting and you're getting a response from GitHub and and uh, I'm on the edge of my seat here. What's next? <laughs> well, you know, you got to understand the mentality that I had here. It was really frustrating for me because I tried to explain in these emails 
look, this is the good that we're doing. This is why we're doing it. I'm not doing this to be rich. I'm not doing this to like make a big name for myself. I really just want to help developers get funding for open source. That's That should be a part of our lives as open source developers. Right. Um, you so, felt like you were talking to somebody who should care about what you were cared about too, right? I mean, that's exactly right. Exactly. Now, uh, in hindsight, I, I, I understand where they're coming from and I'll, and I'll get to that. So they got back to me and they said, look, we don't see any engagement directly between developers and advertisers or developers and sponsors. That's why we don't, that's why you're not allowed on here. Okay. I can work with this. So I went, I got back in the code. I changed the system around to make sure that not only were advertisers uh, being pre-selected by developers. So in the system, originally, when you log in as a developer, you actually choose which advertisers you want to participate in funding your project. So what I did was I, I, I changed it so that the sponsors also had to uh, approve or disprove disapprove which uh which uh, uh developers they wanted to fund so it was very much a two-way street so i thought okay this is this is it um i announced that uh things are great um i i uh and then after that i i wrote back to to github i said this is what we did thank you for letting me know we're good now <laughs> no, we're not good. No, we're not good. They write back. They said, uh, no, no, you're not good. Uh, this, this actually is really bad. Um, your ads are, are still, your, your images are still ads. What we, we only, we don't want to support that type of thing. So in an, in a last ditch effort, and this is, this is in November in the last ditch effort I wrote back, I said, okay, you're not giving me any clear answers and they, and they wouldn't, they said, and they clearly stated, it's not our job to tell you how to make this work. It's just our job to enforce the rules. Fair enough. So I wrote back and I said, okay, tell you what, I'm going to change this up completely to essentially be exactly like open collective, but only service those projects that open, that people don't qualify for open collective. Because Open Collector required a minimum of 100 stars, at least two developers to be on the project, and it required a certain amount of, um, well, I think, you know, I can't really speak for them, but at the time, I, I, I talked to Pia multiple times. I, 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 I've spoken to her multiple times on the development of this. I even asked her, like, hey, are you okay if I mimic your style on GitHub? And she said, no problem. So I, I, I told that to, I, I wrote back, uh, uh, and an email to GitHub pleading with them saying, Hey, this is our effort. This is why we're doing it. And here's what I can do. And you're already allowing it. So I'm just asking for permission to do the exact same thing that you're allowing them to do. I got an email back from, uh, instead of their support, I got an email back from their legal department and they said, we, it, it, to summarize, they basically said, look, we, it's our platform we reserve the right to allow or disallow anything that we choose on our platform. We disallow you. If you're not off of our platform by October, by December 8th, then we will be forced to take legal matters. Mm. That's not the kind of email you want. No, it was not the kind of email. I they got deeper pockets for sure. 
Yeah. And here I am doing this on the side, losing money. I put in $30,000 of my own money into this, trying to make it work. And even though I was taking a cut, it was nowhere near what it actually cost to do, including the sponsorship and the marketing materials and trying to build it up. So it was really, really hard. Um, so in, in November, I sent out an email to everyone. I published an article called uh, Why Funding Open Source is Hard. Uh, in that article, I detailed the growth and success of Code Fund or Code Sponsor. And I explained why it's shutting down. And I, I basically said in, in that, in that blog post that I'm, I'm, I'm stepping out. I'm, I'm shutting it down completely. Yeah. Um, now I, it was so hard for me. So hard. And family had a big part of it. I wasn't up for the fight. You know, I, you know, you can get kicked so many times and if you know the kick is coming, it's not as hard, but once you're after so many kicks and your family's saying like, look, this is not going to work for us either. Then you, you really start to rethink things. Yeah. You got to prioritize the important things, you know, business is great. Uh, you know, all that good stuff, but family comes first. So I can exactly. understand your, your perspective there. So you ended this article, this post very, very detailed post on Hacker Noon, on Medium. I, I don't even know what the, the impressions or the, the readership was of this particular post, but I know they got a pretty, you got a hundred, uh, a thousand, almost 2000 claps, which is yeah, uh, quite, quite a big deal on Medium. And you ended it by saying, I'm done. But yeah, but you weren't. But I wasn't. Now, so I wasn't because it didn't make sense to completely shut it off. I did shut down the platform. I stopped tracking, but I still had developers who trusted me and relied on me to help them get funding. And, uh, I had a good friend, Mike Smith, who I believe, you know, over at Rollbar, um, who's now at Git prime. And, uh, Mike, I asked him, I said, are you willing to stick with me? And what I can do is you keep providing funding for all of these top performing sites and he looks at him as top performing. I look at him as like needing the most funding. I said, will you continue to provide funding for them? And I will just take a 15% cut. And that will essentially make it so that we can still do the tracking because we're still running it through a tracker. But um, I, I didn't need any of the money. The money was literally just to help the server run. Right. He said, he said absolutely. So he, he had no issue with that. Um. So I, I paid out uh, in December, I paid out all the remaining money to all of the people that I owed uh, money to, which came to almost $5,000. And then I had an extra thousand dollars of nickel and dimes for all of the other publishers that or all of the other developers that didn't make enough money to, to receive that payout. So I, I made a lump sum donation of a thousand dollars to the H21 organization for fighting human trafficking. And there's a blog post listing every single uh, developer that participated as a donor in that donation. Uh, because I, it wasn't my money. It was, it was, I didn't consider it my money. I didn't want it. Um, so I, so in December, I talked to a, a buddy of mine named Freddie, Freddie Shelton. And I asked him, I said, Hey, are you interested in code sponsor? I got all these contracts set up. I got Mike here. 
would you like to take it over? Sure, absolutely. So he did. And he, he, he kept it going for a month um, all the way through early January. And uh, in that time, I was kind of going through this point in my life where I'm like, I, I hate my job. I, I need to find purpose. I found true purpose in funding open source, but I need to be able to go somewhere that, that I can do that and get paid for it. And that's what I did. I, I, over, the time, over the course of about three months, I've been talking to uh, Kevin Awaki, who is the CEO and founder of uh, uh, Gitcoin. Uh, and Gitcoin is a, a product that um, helps developers get paid to contribute to open source funding through bounties. Um, we became friends over the months, and he offered me a job to come work at Gitcoin, which I accepted. Once I got to Gitcoin, I thought, you know, I wonder if I can just pick up where I left off and bring code fund back in or code sponsor back in. So I, I reached out to Freddie. I said, how's it going? Um, I said, would you be willing to sell me back the company? And he did. I, I gave him some money for the company. And then I brought it in as just my contribution to Gitcoin. Um, at just here's me. Here's what I can bring to the table. I, I don't want any money for it. They paid a few of the uh, expenses that I had um, for the for the product, but but all in all, it was like code code sponsor joins Gitcoin as sister companies, but they're basically one company now because we're all getting our paycheck from the same same company and all that stuff. But my role at that point became make this work help people through ethical advertising. Wow. That's resiliency right there. I mean, you, you somehow you made it through what Seth Godin describes and it's still probably a dip for you, but there's a portion of a dip there, right? Like the, the hard part is, is uh, all the hurdles that come up along the way to, to having the ability to do it on the long term. you know, and, and I'm not sure what Gitcoin's funding is. I know they're part of consensus. I'm sure they got mm. a lot of, uh, resources to to level you out and whatnot but i mean you got a new license now you got license to to keep trying which which to any entrepreneur is like yes give me more time and at the same time you're not damaging your relationship with your family yeah which has got to be the most important thing of of all that right oh by far yeah absolutely by far Gitcoin, Gitcoin enabled, and I'll, I, you know, I'm forever indebted to Kevin for this, but Gitcoin enabled the rebirth, you could say, of, of, of code sponsor. Yeah, and it was, it, it, I, I have to mention, part of, part of, I think part of the reason why I, I survived through all these kicks to the groin is there's a guy I meet every every Tuesday. His name is Mark Cu, and. And we, uh, he, he's an entrepreneur. He's just this really busy, busy guy. And he, and he told me as we're going, he kept saying like, look for the next punch, look for, for look for the next kick. It's coming. It's coming. That's what this is all about. So I was, I was kind of coached to, to, to be prepared to be kicked and to be prepared to have these failures and not, and not collapse under them. So it was almost like, oh, okay, well, I know the next one's coming. It's probably going to be within a month. Okay. It, these are the likely, this is likely what it's going to be. And then I kind of mentally prepare for it and it allows me to get on further. That, that was a huge, huge help. 
but then things got a little bit easier um, in uh, in January. I started I started with consensus in January, like you said. Um, immediately went out to this insane uh, retreat for the whole company. They they flew the whole company somewhere, and we had this week long retreat. And I realized, like, I'm not in Kansas anymore. <laughs> things are different. <laughs> things are different now. There's a difference when when you're in a place that actually has money. So. What that bought me was the ability to focus on the developer, uh, focus on the problem, which is funding open source and trying to help build that solution. So the pivot that I decided to do was say, okay, we're no longer even going to bother trying with GitHub. And uh, in hindsight, knowing that they were in the process of being purchased by Microsoft and they didn't want to throw any type of uh, crazy craziness into that deal or any any type of wild card, um, they didn't want a wild card to be visible in that sale. This is my view. It totally makes sense now that I know that they were selling to Microsoft why they didn't want anything to do with me. Yeah. And, and I accept that. I accept that completely. I also accept the fact that they couldn't tell me at the time. And so, <laughs> you know, look, <laughs> I'm, I'm good with it now. I still love GitHub. All my code's on GitHub. Uh, all the code is open source for, for CodeFund. That's all on GitHub. And, uh, but it allowed me to, to focus more on, on the developers. And that's what I did. So month by month, we, we continue to grow and we're still continuing to grow. Um, we are on websites right now, such as JS bin with Remy sharp material UI, um, Nux JS we're on Rubular. We're on probably 15 pretty highly popular websites right now. And the, what's really cool about this is not only do I get to send them checks every month, uh, and now I'm paying up to 70%, 70% of whatever revenue comes in, goes to them up to. Um, so not only is that amazing, but partially it's the reason, the reason why they chose us over the other guy. I'm, I'm kind of curious hearing you now saying this, you say the term websites. So, so pretty high traffic websites. Uh, JS spins, one of them, uh, a couple of you just mentioned there, where is the developer in this? So what is the relationship with code fund now? And you kind of stumbled a couple of times saying code sponsor code fund. That's because right. you've had these identity changes over time. So, um, but, but where is the developer currently in the code fund system? How do you help the developer now? Right now, what I do is I look for websites that are community servicing, um, whether it be an application that developers use for free whether it be blogs or articles or newsletters that service the community, but any developer who is putting their time towards um, making the life better for other developers, I look to help. Uh, and so I reached out to Remy. I reached out to Olivier over at uh, Material UI. I reached out to uh, Michael Lovett over at Rubular. I reached out to all these people because these are websites that I'm familiar with and I know they're working hard to service the community. So I asked them, I said, hey, would you like to participate? And you know, a lot of times they say no, but every now and then they say, yeah. So I bring them in, they create an account, they can see near real time what their, what their money is coming in and, uh, and we pay them every month. And I just try and keep them happy because 
who's thinking of the open source? Who's who's thinking of the maintainer, right? Everybody's thinking about the code and what can the code do for me and what, yeah. you know, all that stuff. But but who's thinking of the maintainer? And I, and I think of an example. It's a sad example. Um, the story of uh, Jack Lucic. Lukic. Yeah. 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 So semantic I, UI. We've had him on the show UI. two times. Yeah. So he he creates this this insanely incredible uh, uh, bootstrap competitor called Semantic UI. He's the only guy maintaining it, and this thing explodes. Forty thousand stars on GitHub. Right. You know we use it too. We use it as a, as our as the UI component system for our backend to just make you know an admin so much easier to deal with because. Oh yeah. Who wants to design and like build their own admin? It's sort of pointless. What you want to focus on is the design for the customer facing sides of things, not so much your sides. Good experience, but I mean, Jack made it easy for us to do that with Semantic UI. Right. Exactly. Um, late last year in December, and I actually have a quote if you don't mind me sharing. Sure, please. He, he said uh, on, on December 21st of last year, um, he said, after having spent about three years of my life trying to make open source work with part-time proprietary work or just plain being broke, uh, I don't think I know of any other way that seems reasonable without compromising the software. Unfortunately, it means I have to push back in development until I can find the means of financing to sustain it. It's, it's, a, it's a frustrating thing. And I saw the anger in, in the issues. I was, I, I've, I've been following Semantic UI for a long time, and I know that he was overwhelmed. At one time, I actually calculated to myself, okay, well, he has, well, let me see. At the time when, I, last year, he had about um, 580 issues. So I thought, okay, well, what if it takes 30 minutes per issue to solve? And what if he charges $75 per issue? And I calculated it was something like forty thousand dollars to like get get him out of the hole. And I think that's wrong, but just off of off of my memory, there's a lot of money to like that he's giving up. Now this is not money that he can make. This is money that he's not going to make and that he's going to give up because he has to spend that time doing that versus other work that might make him money. Right. So again, I want to keep people's eyes on the maintainer, and that's what code code fund. Is now code. I should probably explain code fund. Um, now, how back- has it changed? Has it changed in its makeup since code sponsor? Because I mean, for me, I'm playing catch up too. So, explain to me. So when 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 code sponsor became part of Gitcoin, um, the thing that always bothered me once we moved away from GitHub is that we're not really doing sponsorships anymore. Um, and in fact, I think the, the name sponsor could be deceiving when used on an ad platform, which we embraced and became in January. Um, so I decided, well, let's rename it. Let's make it fit more of the Gitcoin brand. So we renamed it to CodeFund. Our website is now CodeFund.io. And we rebranded the logo a little bit to to look more like Gitcoins. Um, but anyway, I believe that our 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 goal is more about funding code versus sponsoring code. So you say that not many people focus on the maintainer and you got this example of Jack, uh, Jack Luchich, who is doing great work on Semantic UI. And it's a shame to be that deep into a project and, and be a single maintainer and have really no 
financial way out, as he had said, without changing the model of the way that you deliver this open source project. And there's many people out there who decide uh, to do like Sidekick, for example, Sidekick, Sidekick Pro. Mm -hmm. uh, Mike Param has done a great job with that. There's different ways you can go about things. And not, as you had said earlier, the same with, with Pia, that you, there's not one way to do everything. So not everybody who wants to do open source wants to make a community version and a pro version, right? And so oh, here 100%. you are is trying to find a way to match people who can receive value from exposing their brand to an audience and those who don't want to change their business model or their, in quotes, model of producing their open source work. You want to find some sort of like, you know, harmonious way to connect both, right? Mm -hmm. And is, is that where you're at right now? A hundred percent. In fact, I, I gave a talk at a, at a conference, the um, Ruby Hack conference uh, back in April. And in that talk, I actually defined how how developers' roles need to change in order to to really increase funding in open source. Now, any developer that comes in, the first thing, the easiest, the easiest thing to do would be to add a button to their repo and say, hey, donate money if you're using this. Very easy. But the likelihood of any return on that is next to nil. Um, Ken C. Dodds, which uh, he's a fantastic, fantastic person we both know, creative cross and and many, many, many wonderful libraries. Um, he had those buttons on his on every one of his projects for a year, and he didn't receive one donation, not one. So I, I I visualize in this talk, I visualized a graph that's essentially an exponential curve, and on, on the bottom part of the graph is is amount of money. I'm sorry. Uh, the bottom part of the graph is the amount of money that you can receive, potential earnings, and on the left part of the graph, going up, is the amount of change that a developer is required to perform in order to make that happen. Yeah. And you mentioned the entrepreneur, which there is a lot of money to be made in that entrepreneur side of open source. If that's the way you want to go, it's been proven with Sidekick and it's been proven with many other libraries. But at the end of the day, you got to be a unicorn to pull that off. You really have to know how to market yourself, how to advertise, how to build a company, how to create a business model that's going to turn a profit and how to maintain like both sides of the free and for cost of this project. And on top of that, your project has to be popular enough to justify that type of thing. Kind of the middle ground that I've found is, uh, is support. Now, uh, a good example that I, that I show is trailblazer. Um, trailblazer is a, uh, it's like a, a framework that sits on top of rails that changes things around and makes it a little bit more, um, verb I want to say verbose. I, I, I Go to Trailblazer if you want to find out what they do. But you go to their website, and I see three things. There's a premium support. There is a book. They sell a book. And uh, they are uh, sending out stickers. Like They're doing a lot of marketing and support for that. And they're I'm sure they're getting pretty decent money doing that. They're not seeing Mike Parham money, but they're still seeing money. Um, but again, it comes back to what does a developer want to do? Do you want to be a support person? Do you want to write books? Do you want to start a business with this? Or do you just want to continue building open source? And unfortunately, I don't see a lot of ways aside from licensing software or advertising that will let you continue acting as you have always before 
uh, and still make a decent amount of money back. Yeah. Anytime, like, so this example of, you know, going back to Jack's Manic UI, he just wants to be able to, to produce and maintain the open source, not add one more layer, which is support or whatever right. else it might take to develop some sort of revenue stream. Like, you don't want to take the current load plus something, right, to support it. Like, he just wants to be able to deliver the great project and right. sustain it. That's such a hard nut to crack. It really is. I mean, you mentioned Open Collective. They have their ways. So many UI may fit there, may not. Patreon is trying to get into this game as well. You got, mm -hmm. you know, you got Gitcoin, which is funding issues, right? You, whole different mm -hmm. kind of model. But there's all sorts of different ways you can sort of like wrap this up. And, and there's no easy road. Yeah. Everyone has their pros and cons. And it's almost like you have to find out which one fits you. Uh, Naughty Eggball has a really good... Um, really good read me on github called the lemonade stand and i refer to it often um and there if you are interested in funding open source that's a great place to start you'll see all the pros and cons of all these different ways of doing it um i think the biggest thing that developers i would like developers to know is that it's okay to get paid for open source it's you're not it's not something that you have to give away and it means less if you get paid. It is okay to get paid. Um, the question is, what avenues do you go to get paid? Um, and what options are there out there? So I strongly urge anybody who's interested in this, not only to check out CodeFund, but also to go around and like look at the different ways that you can do it. There's so many different ways to generate funding for your open source. It's just what fits your personality the best. So I have some pretty awesome news to share. We are now partnered with Algolia. If you've ever searched Hacker News, Teespring, Medium, Twitch, or even Product Hunt, then you've experienced the results of Algolia's search API. And as we expand our content, we knew that one day we'd have to either roll our own search solution on top of Postgres, or we could partner up with Algolia. And I'm happy to report that phase one of our search is now powered by Algolia. We're able to fine tune our indexing, gain insights from search patterns and analytics. We can create custom query rules to influence ranking behavior as well as improve our search experience by adding synonyms and alternative correction to queries. Sure, we could build search ourselves, but that would mean we would be busy doing that instead of shipping shows like you're listening to right now. Huge thanks to our friends at Algolia for working with us. Check the show notes for a link to get started for free or learn more by heading to algolia.com. So the the funding model for open source, Eric, is is a moving target, right? Like since day one, which is just a portion of the journey of trying to sustain open source, like your day one was a year ago, at least with this project, to try to find some sort of sustainable way to help open source developers find a consistent revenue stream that can help them just do one thing, which is produce and support and sustain their current project, not add other layers to find revenue models. Like that's a moving target, would you say? Absolutely. It's it's, it's unfortunate about the scenario with GitHub, uh, but as you'd mentioned, totally understandable. Uh, I look at some of the past and some of the directions you've taken, and I'm just kind of curious. There's some laid out in this latest post from you, um, which is, you know, greatly put. 
what I've learned over the past year funding open source. And you, you kind of outline various things you've done, lessons learned, mistakes. What are core lessons learned for you in this process that is either in that post there or not yet that you could share? I think mentioning the ones on the post, I, I wrote this when I was very much deep in um, uh, reminiscing about, about the past year. Mm. I didn't even, I didn't even realize it, it's been a year and all of a sudden somebody on Facebook or somebody on LinkedIn said, Hey, congrats on one year. And well, yeah. I'm like, Oh my, Oh my gosh, it's been a year. Um, so to touch on these, I think these are the most important to me. Um, so when I started the business off and, and over, over the, over the past, know, over the past year, I think one of the things that I'm most proud of is, is the honesty, uh, the honesty that I've been able to approach this now. Now, digital advertising is kind of a messy, dirty, yucky, um, thing. Uh, it can be. And advertisers that I've talked to over the past where I basically open up my data and I say, here, you can see exactly what we're doing. This is my overall click-through rate. Here are all of my publishers that I'm working with. Here's how much money we've made as a company this month. And this is how much money we're giving back to developers and, and, and all this stuff. I've been so, so open and honest with them. And I think that's, that's paid off a lot. Um, I, it's, I don't do it too paid off, but I, I don't, I'm not good. I'm not a good poker player. I, I, and I'm a developer. So <laughs> things, you know, it, it's yeah. just log, logic, logically in my mind, if I'm open and honest with them, then they will appreciate it and work with me or they will say, okay, thank you for being open and honest you've given me enough information to know that this won't work for me, but I'll think of you in the future. Never has anybody said, Oh, I'm, they're so open and honest. I'm going to take advantage of this and, and, and see if I can, you know, I, whatever it might be. And that's, that's something that I've just been really proud of. I continue to be proud of, um, you know, in, in all openness and honesty, I posted what our, our earnings was for last month, uh, July, uh, we had 2.4 million impressions, average click-through rate of 0.33%. Uh, we had $7,200 come in the door and $4,400 went right back out to developers. So we we made $2,800 in profit. Again, we're far, far, far from being able to support myself and the other developer that works for me, works with me, but we're in the right direction and we're making a difference. Um, so far in in a whole code fund has generated over $36,000 for open source. We, I, I have literally been able to pay out $36,000 over the last year to developers all over the world. And that is just such, such an amazing feeling for me. And the, the best part is like, I know I'm just in the very beginning, it's going to grow and it's going to grow and it's going to grow part of, I think part of the reason why I was able to, to be able to pivot and not topple is because of the mission. Now, I look at some companies' missions and their mission is to make revenue or that, you know, I want everybody to use this brand of soap or whatever. And that stuff to, to me is not very important, but having a mission that actually has true meaning, such as um, how can we help fund open source? How can we help get money to people? And as long as that is, 
that is the the rod that I hold on to. That is the, yeah. the goal post that I'm aiming at. It's really easy to make decisions. Um, and every decision that I've had to make is like, well, how is this going to help open source? If it is, okay, great. If not, definitely not going to do it. Well, it's good to have that as a checker too. You know, your, your final litmus test is, you know, like you say in this post, and we have a similar one, like does it enrich the lives of developers? Like that's our mission. Yeah. You know, and so as we decide to work with new sponsors or produce new shows or go to certain yeah. conferences or just in any way change or, or redesign how something works, we ask ourselves that question, which is, does it enrich the lives of developers? And your question is similar, but does it help fund open source? And if it doesn't, don't do it. Yeah, and I, and I might have to to append to that too, because I should say, does it ethically help fund open okay. source? I like that. Uh, because, you know, I'm sure that you've had people come to you and say, hey, Adam, I, I love your podcast. I'd love to sponsor it. Will you sponsor it? And they're... Um, you know, X Y Z company that has nothing to do with advertisers at all. We've had to ter- we've had to say no to some some people for sure. People who will come to us and say, "Well, we'll sponsor your show if we can get somebody on the show or mm. something like that." And I'm just like, "That's just not how we operate." Right. And we just don't do that. We don't pay to play. All of the, you know, all of the content on our shows is native content. Like we sought it out, or we're truly interested in the story. It's not because somebody paid us to be on here. Yeah. Our sponsors are different. That's the point. And we do a great job of sharing their message and understanding their brand story and caring how we should help them communicate their message to developers and our audience. That's part of what we do. That's our value add. But those are paid. Content is not. And on that note, I, I got to say, I don't I don't know who the sponsors are for this specific podcast. but Rollbar is one of them. Rollbar, thank you. I personally thank each and every one of those sponsors for this podcast being recorded right now. Yeah. I appreciate it. You guys are the reason this can happen. Thank you. Um, so, so back to ethics. The, the last thing that I pointed out and that really has kind of been uh, part of who I've been and what Code, Code Fund has been since day one, Code Sponsor, is, is ethical. Um, and what I mean by that is... we. So I'm a big fan of Eric Holscher. Yeah. And he he's of course the the genius behind Read the Docs. He uh, and I had a conversation with him early 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 on back in July. I had this idea, I wanted to run it by him. He was kind enough to talk to me about it. Um he uh he gave me some great advice. Um but at the end of the day, uh I was able to take what he uh created which is ethical advertising and apply it to to advertising across the board. And so that includes um, no tracking, uh, no cookies. We don't do any uh, remarketing and we don't sell data. We don't do profiling. And uh, all of our ads are are um, on topic. All of our ads are uh, relevant to the audience. And uh, we don't, uh, all of our ads are unobtrusive. They're not in your face. They're very subtle, They're but they're beautiful and not, you know, they're, they're good. They should be something that you, that's not distracting when you're, when you're viewing a site. And then finally uh, in, in February, I decided that if, if we're really going to, if we really are going to be who we say we are, we got to open source this. And mm-hmm. I actually got to credit it to you and to Jared. Um, you guys, I didn't realize uh, we've talked off and on over the past year, but uh, I didn't realize uh, early on that you had, uh, that all of your software was open source. And I thought, wow, 
that's that's awesome. Yeah. So I I I I took your advice or I I followed your lead and I open sourced it all now. Um I, I Jared and I went back and forth a little bit because I, I might have open sourced it and copied some verbiage that Jared wrote. <laughs> he said, don't do that. But um, I, I've since corrected it. But no, nothing but respect for you guys. And, it, and it, I think it led me to make a really good choice by open sourcing our, our stuff. But the best part is, is that, um, you know, it's the whole blockchain thing. It talks about trustless where you don't need right. to trust people. Advertising is so dirty. But when you say our whole advertising platform is open source and these are our claims and you can go verify. It becomes a lot easier to trust or not require trust on that. Yeah. It's, it's easy, you know, to, to get out of the box because there's certain stigmas that are, that are squashed out the box by saying, you know, we follow these patterns, our code is open source. These are our guidelines, whatever they might be. You know, you credit us on the open sourcing part. We just, put the baton up and hope people follow us and we're following others too. It's like, we're just leading the leaders and following the followers. Cause I think it's the way to go. We dreamt of being able to, when we, we uh, built the CMS that now powers changelaw.com. Our dream was to be able to make sure it was open source because we felt like, gosh, we've been covering open source since 2009, you know, like open yeah. source moves fast. We're just trying to keep up and help everybody too. And we could not, in any way go beyond Tumblr or WordPress, which was our first two platforms and build our own and not make it open source. Cause it wasn't yeah. about fueling competitors or anything like that. It was about, can we start a conversation? You know, can we establish trust? Can we invite a community in? There's so many benefits that we see because of it. And if we kept it closed source, where would we be? What would that, what would that be like? That's silly. Yeah. So, yeah. So ethical advertising is certainly a, an interesting perspective. It's been the DNA of you since the beginning. Right. Something else you said there that you kind of glossed over a little bit was you've been unapologetically focused on the mission. Yeah. And you kind of go into to some, some details there. Um, specifically, you know, with that mission in mind, it means that if the game changes, you're willing to change with it. Like, you mentioned earlier being able to pivot, not topple. If you say here in in uh, in bold, the mission, not the product, is our lighthouse, and that means that if for some reason the way you generate funding for open source developers in the future changes from an advertising platform to something else, you're willing to follow it. Is that right? Yeah. Not only am I willing to follow it, I think I'd be willing to follow it gleefully. Um, uh, nobody likes ads. I don't like ads. Us developers, we're the ones writing the ad blockers. So uh, I get that it's not the ideal solution. And I know there are a bunch of different solutions, but right now that to me is the most effective way to bring funding to open source where everybody's happy uh, for the most part. If that changes and something comes out that uh, will will make a, a better impact, more of an impact, mm -hmm. Uh, yeah, we'll we'll be on top of that. I'm a big fan of the Brave browser and the uh, basic attention token. I think that's wonderful. I'm a big fan of the the Deco network, which is fighting to make it possible for um, for developers to easily license their software. I'm a huge fan of Tidelift, who is focusing really hard on providing uh, an ongoing salary towards uh, maintainers and building up a maintainer pool. 
So there's a whole bunch of efforts going on uh, that's all solving the same problem. We're all on the same team. We might be doing different tactics tactics to to make it happen, but we're all on the same team. And yeah. it's really comforting to know that. I think what's interesting too is that, you know, because the overarching theme of this is obviously diving deep into your story, but it's, you know, how do we fund open source? You know, fund, what are, what are the ways you can? And I, and I think what I've learned through this conversation is that there's just not one way. Right. And there's, there's many, many ways, you know, as you mentioned that you and your relationship and your friendship with Pia is not predicated on your, the, the competitive conflict that your businesses, your for-profit or your, you know, your missions with your businesses have like, because of that, there isn't a change in your relationship, you know, like you still can be friendly. You can still have respect for one another. And there's many, many ways to solve the problem of funding open source. Yeah. Well, I guess what was a little unclear to me and maybe still unclear is how CodeFund sits inside of Gitcoin or Consensus. Does it operate? Because you've said you and a developer and we a couple of times, and I'm trying to track how that applies mm-hmm. and payouts. Is it autonomous? Is it by itself? Is it part of Gitcoin? It's a, is it a sub product? You know, how, how, what is the state of code fund right now as it pertains to Gitcoin or even consensus at large? So legally code fund does not exist as an entity, as a legal entity anymore. Um, code fund is literally a, product, one of many products by Gitcoin. We're actually going through a little bit of a branding crisis with that right now. And we're trying to figure out what that means. So your confusion is actually my confusion as well. Nice. Okay. Um, we've, and talked so, to, we, we've talked to um, Kevin right. on the changelog as well. You know, when we first heard of Gitcoin, we thought it was actually a coin. You know, right. it took That's, us a little while too to <laughs> unravel the onion and say, oh, okay. So this is about, you know, funding issues through cryptocurrencies because consensus is essentially very bullish on the cryptocurrency markets, you know, specifically Ethereum. Right. Right. So code fund is this weird, um, this weird thing that just showed up in this consensus mesh that has absolutely nothing to do with blockchain. And I've, 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 often ask myself, why am I here? What are we doing here? Because it doesn't make any sense as far as uh, promoting blockchain or making that, uh, building that economy or ecosystem. However, as, as time goes on, I'm finding that CodeFund actually fits in really well with it because it's a built-in tool for promoting and advertising internal uh, other, other spokes, what they call within, within consensus. Um, but also it, it, it will open up opportunities for developers who don't know anything about blockchain development to start getting involved. And so some of our ads that we're running right now are introducing people very, very slightly into like, hey, are you interested in blockchain development? Are you interested in learning this? Come here. They're, they're wanting help. They're, they're wanting to get people involved. Um, so there is some mix there. But yeah, it, it, it is a little bit of a weird thing. We're hopefully going to have an answer f- for that question later this year. Um, but right now, uh, to, to really like TLDR it, CodeFund is literally just a product of Gitcoin and Gitcoin has a bounties product. And that's what Gitcoin is known for is their bounties product. And CodeFund is the, is the ad slash revenue arm of Gitcoin. 
Yeah, I was always curious about how that would play out because I can see how they interconnect. And I was very happy for you when I heard about this announcement. But at the same time, I was like, so is it by itself? Is it a subproduct? Like, how does it fit in? And I wasn't really sure. But uh, I'm a huge fan of Gitcoin as well. Like, I think the the interesting way you fund issues through bounties, specifically bounties funded by cryptocurrencies, is really an interesting process because... I mean, just the sky's the limit, you know, but you know, you've got this whole web three, you've got these hurdles and, and I've heard Kevin say, we're in it for the long haul. You know, this is not a, you know, next year or the year after trying to solve this problem. So the long tail is what you are focusing on. And I think it does make sense, you know, in the short term code fund oddly fits, but in the long tail, it very tightly fits. If I, if I have my vision on correctly for what you're doing. I think you're right. I think you're exactly right. So maybe to close, what um, I like asking this one. I didn't prepare you for it. So if if for some reason you don't got something for it, no worries. I got a backup. But you know, what's something that's super secret for you for Gitcoin for Code Fund for Consensus? What's something that's super secret that not many or no one knows about that you can tease or share here on the show today? Uh, now that you mention it, <laughs> um, one of the things that we did, I, I think integrations is going to be a huge part of the future of, of code fund. And the reason I say that is because developers don't want to, as far as I've seen developers are wanting to go and like, go over here and set this up and then copy over here and inject your script here and all this stuff just to be able to get paid. Um, the direction that I would like to take code fund is more of a an API driven platform that other applications can integrate into uh, and provide ethical advertising for their users. So for example, um, later this year, we will be doing a full native integration with codesandbox.io. What that means is on code sandbox, you'll be able to, click on your preferences, click on integrations, click on code fund, and then it'll set you up an account automatically. And then you can optionally add an ethical ad to your shares, whether it be on your website or your embeds. And then you as the developer will get paid for those. We have another integration coming in November and, uh, so this is being put together by uh, our good friends over at uh, Nuxt.js, um, Sebastian and Alex Chopin, two genius brothers who created Nuxt. And they are, uh, back when I, I started announcing that there were issues with GitHub, I think in December, um, uh, Sebastian and his brother decided, I think that we can help Eric, and I think we can help code sponsor it by creating a way for uh, by creating a way for for actual repos to get funding. So right now, that's the biggest problem. I can't fund repos directly because unless that repo has a website, it can't happen. So um, in the next uh, few months, they're launching a tool that will integrate directly with GitHub, uh, and it should allow near. Um, it should allow uh for us to be able to help a lot more people very quickly. Mm. 
integrations is an interesting perspective. Uh, code sandbox or code sandbox is actually, if that works out, you've got a proven model to easily go to the code pens or anywhere else where people are sharing their code and you're giving the individuals who are actually sharing examples of moving the needle of change and or how things are done. Right. You know, that's really interesting, potentially even glitch or other community right. sites that essentially say, Hey, here's my stuff. And if it gets enough eyeballs, you give that person the ability to, to integrate ethical advertising. I think right. uh, you really got to go back to Eric Holscher and buy him some dinner or take him out or give oh, him a vacation yes. at some point or something, because <laughs> yeah, that's the, that's the, with that as the underlying DNA, it's going to be very difficult to, to question you. You know what I mean? In yeah. Motives. Yeah. You know, and, and yeah. And, and since they like, I'm a developer, I, I, I make good enough money, you know, quote unquote, good enough money. I'm, I'm a, I'm a privileged white male living in a rich town in Utah. Um, I, I, I acknowledge that I'm privileged. Um, I'm not doing this for the money. I just want to make a difference and help people. And I want to remove the eye out of the whole thing and eventually make this to be something that belongs to the community. Uh, it, because I think that's really the adoption, the adoption of code fund or any solution that that's going to come about has to be adopted. The only way I think it will be adopted is if it is completely open and ethical and, and, and maintained that way. Yeah. Well, Eric, it's been fun going through your story. There's definitely, there's parts I knew parts I didn't know parts. I was really curious about. And, you know, I, I'm just left with, uh, one, a ton of respect and excitement for your future, uh, the work you're doing with Gitcoin and consensus and particularly helping open source developers find ways to sustainably uh, get funding for their work that doesn't require them to do a ton of change or change at all, really, to how they're doing day to day work. And that's that's just an amazing mission. So any any final thoughts or closing advice you want to share before we close out? Um. Mainly uh, my appreciation for the community. Uh, once I started entering this world of, of funding open source and helping find solutions, I've, I've found so many amazing people and so many, so many, so many amazing efforts towards, towards this goal. Um, I guess one thing I should share, and I'm not sure when this will be released, but in October, um, we are going to be at the Sustain Summit in October. Um, and that is a one day event that where a bunch of people will be there to discuss how to help continue sustaining open source. And if you can make it, I hope you make it. If you can't, I hope you follow up. They're currently looking for sponsorship right now as well. So there's a sponsor page there. And, uh, if you're there, I look forward to seeing you. Also, I will be at GitHub Universe. We are sponsoring again. Nice. <laughs> they let you back in the door. They let they let me back in the door, but nice. under the under the name Gitcoin. So Gitcoin is the sponsor, and yet we will be there, and uh, Code Fund will be very well represented. Represented. Um, come get your T-shirts and your swag. And, uh, <laughs> if you, if you want to hear any more details, just come talk. <laughs> That's so awesome. It certainly leads into the 
focused on the mission. Like you, uh, you'll keep right. knocking at the door. I like that about you. That's right. Resiliency at its best. Uh, you mentioned sustain, sustainoss.org. Uh, love Pia and everybody else involved in that yep. conference. We won't be able to, I'm not sure if we're going to be able to make it there this year. Oh man. With it being in London, it's a little harder for us, but we, we don't have plans yet. Well, we had an idea that we haven't began to execute on for us to send one person. So you might even see yeah. us there, but not sure. So. not sure. That's where, we, that's where we met last year. Yeah. That's where we met. That's right. But uh, Eric, thank you so much for your mission. Man. I appreciate it. Stay in touch. Uh, we love you here. We can't, uh, we can't thank you enough for this mission. And it was so much fun talking on the show. Thank you. Oh, thank you. I appreciate it. All right, thank you for tuning into this week's episode of Founders Talk. Do me a favor, if you're enjoying the show, if you love it, if you received any value whatsoever from the stories being shared, share with a friend, head to iTunes, rate it, review the show. If you know how to tweet a link, tweet a link. And of course, thank you to our sponsors, Vettery, Rollbar, and Algolia. Also, thanks to Fastly, our bandwidth partner. Head to Fastly.com to learn more. We catch our errors before our users do here at Changelog because of Rollbar. Check them out at rollbar.com slash changelog. And we're hosted on Linode Cloud Servers. Head to linode.com slash changelog. Check them out. Support this show. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you next week.